Blog Talk Radio. Natural performer. Well, 
do it. Oh, you, of course, like we just said, are from Oklahoma, and historically Oklahoma is a very important state in pro wrestling, especially back in the old territorial days, uh, going back to the 40s and 50s when you had guys like Danny Hodge and uh, the McShanes doing junior heavyweight title matches there. And then fast forward, you had Leroy McGurk's territory that lasted for many, many years. Bill Watts eventually took over the Oklahoma Territory and had the UWF on the verge of going national. There's a lot of story history out of there. Do you delve much into the history of your home state as far as what has transpired in pro wrestling before you? Yeah, I'm um, I'm an avid podcast listener for the most part. Like I'm, I stick to mostly the historic podcast things like that. People like your um, Cornets, your Bruce Pritchards, things like that. People who um, Jeff Jarrett as well. People who have those old school territory stories, um, and that's basically my my basis. That and documentaries for learning things like that. I've always been a person who thinks it's very important to uh, understand that lots of things existed before you did, and uh, it's if you are ignorant of those things, you're just planning to fail. Now, Oklahoma is also a place where a lot of amateur wrestling is very popular. Uh, That central part of the country usually has a more rabid fan base for amateur wrestling. And so smaller professional wrestlers that have that amateur background tend to become very popular in that area. You, of course, not a junior heavyweight by any stretch of the imagination. Do you find it easier for yourself to get sort of noticed by the crowd and become popular with the fans in that area by being larger than most, or do you find it harder to be connected to the fan base because you're not that junior heavyweight with a lot of amateur while um, the state in general is very into amateur wrestling, um, the the fans in this area, I don't want to say that they're not knowledgeable. It's it's not something that they're rabidly into. The pro wrestling fans and the collegiate wrestling fans, I think, are pretty much a split demographic as far as that goes in Oklahoma. Um, to the, the other point of your question, I've never had issue getting noticed um i not only am i six and a half feet tall i'm also um a rather debonair dresser uh not in the traditional fancy man kind of sense but i have a very unique style and fashion about me i would say that anyone who's ever met me can tell you i absolutely passed the airport test i turn heads everywhere i go which you know is, is one thing for myself but i also happen to have a uh Six foot one, gorgeous bombshell of a fiance. So uh, that doesn't hurt always either. Now, one of the things that you have on your resume is a lot of work with the larger national companies. You've uh, worked with a lot of the bigger groups that do the television. 
a lot of wrestlers don't end up making any type of spot with the larger companies because they simply don't know how to do so. They don't know where to go, who to talk to, or anything of that nature. How did you get into uh, getting spots with the bigger companies and doing work on television? Well, I uh, I ended up training in my early days with a few people from a company called Impact Zone Wrestling. When I was training with them uh, around that time, uh, Johnny Z, uh, the promoter of Lawton, Oklahoma, uh, was starting or had just recently started a uh, a television studio situation down there. He was uh, basically he had he had bought a building and converted a building into a small television studio, and he ran there for years and packed the place out. I mean, eventually in a small place like Lawton. Uh, he was running weekly. He had, uh, but on, on top of having a, a good location and a, a, he had an excellent mind for booking, uh, one of the greatest things he did is actually invest in his product. He had the capital to really run a wrestling company, which most promoters don't really take into consideration whenever they start. Um, he had TV quality cameras. He had uh, a great production staff. Uh, that for the most part he kind of trained himself because uh, if there's nothing else uh, that Johnny is, Johnny is, it's persistent. He will obsess about something. So if he needs to know what the best camera in the world is or the, what the best camera he can have is for uh, television production, he's going to research it to no end, and he's going to inform and educate everyone in his staff of exactly how to use them. Um, so it was basically like being in an old um, kind of center stage situation where uh, we would have weekly tapings, and they were all storyline-based, and it uh, it was basically like a crash course in how to do wrestling television, working for the camera, communicating in earpieces with the referee and things like that. Um, and um, another good part, it was a bit of a skeleton crew. It's not a big-money organization. So uh, not only did I learn how to perform in that situation, but I learned every aspect of the backstage uh, production of that as well. I've done everything from camera work, directing, writing, um, being a stage manager, working vignette computers, things like that. Like he would, that was, if you wanted to learn in IZW, you could learn anything you needed to learn. Much like uh, if you've ever seen CM Punk's uh, documentary, his biographical uh, documentary from WWE, uh, how he would explain uh, his time with Paul Heyman, how if you want to learn and he can tell that you're hungry for knowledge, he will sit down and he will spend every moment that you have teaching you. Uh, so that's how I got into it. And then from my work there, I was contacted by other companies like uh, uh, what went on to be world-class uh, wrestling. Uh, they And they did a touring, which is the only time I've ever seen anyone in Oklahoma or in, in the area do a touring television taping. Uh, it's the closest thing they've had to uh, territory in a long time. We would go from Arkansas to Denton to uh, we, we did a few television tapings at the University of North Texas um, in, in their football stadium. We did big arenas in Arkansas. We did big arenas in, uh, in Texas and things like that. We worked a few times with Impact Wrestling. They, uh, they really did big things, and I tell Jerry Bostick, the promoter, all, my, all the time, I'm like, man, you've got you've got a magic charm to you. I even call him a snake charmer because I was like, 
he would get us in places that no one had even touched, like get us in places that no one else had even had a, a sniff at. And he would he would make that phone call and they'd be eating out of the palm of his hand and making them deals and he'd get us in some pretty wild places. Now, when you say you learn everything and you're getting into the different aspects, obviously at some point every wrestler gets to the point where they just can no longer wrestle in ring on a regular basis anymore. There are many different roles within the business that people can do to stay in the business and work in the industry other than in-ring wrestler. Do you look at some of those roles as a way for you to eventually stay connected in the professional wrestling industry at whatever level it is, uh, just having the knowledge of having all these different roles? Uh, Yeah, I think a lot of times you'll see, uh, or I will see that that's valued uh, when people bring me in. Uh, If they recently have been working a lot with Buzzsaw Championship Wrestling, BCW out of Oklahoma, I don't work in Oklahoma much, but generally when I have been recently, it's been with them. And the owner uh, and promoter, Terry Pantera, he just kind of de facto was like, hey, can you talk with these guys about this? Can you go over times with these guys? Because he knows that I have the the breadth of knowledge where I can I know how to manage time. I know how to agent matches. I know how to do whatever needs to be done from either a performer or management level. Um, so I always like to uh, – I, I, I never try and force that on anyone, but I always like to flex those muscles when I can. Um, just to, you know, keep keep your mind crisp. Uh, as far as continuance, once I'm unable to be a, uh, an in-ring performer, uh, I don't see that time happening anytime soon. But if I'm going to, honestly, I if, if I'm going to use that as a transition, I would prefer to use it as a transition to a higher level, to at least like an Impact Wrestling, an NWA, something to that level. I've got a few friends I know, um, a couple of those organizations, and... Uh, making inroads as we speak to uh, get on there as a performer, but and similarly with WWE, I have uh, I'm through Jerry Bostic and, and world class, I was able to work a litany of famous TV names um, like MVP, EC3, uh, Hacksaw Duggan, like and just that you know Carlito, just on and on. The, the guy Jerry was always great with bringing in very reliable professional people. And uh, through that, I've made a lot of great connections in the uh, in the major companies. And so, yeah, I mean, if if the opportunity arose where I was able to get my foot in the door in more of a creative aspect, or even just a backstage kind of management or production aspect, if it's that, or stay here in Oklahoma and and wrestle on the Indies, I'm gonna take the desk job. I'm gonna take the road job, and I'm gonna you know, I'll go be a producer. I have a few friends who have made that transition already. Uh, Seth Allen, and there's a, uh, a referee out of uh, uh, the lot in there, out of the Oklahoma area, Donnie Brooks. Uh, they both now work for the WWE full time in a security or um, backstage setup kind of capacity. And so, yeah, I mean, I've absolutely welcomed the opportunity to work for a worldwide entertainment company at any level I can get. One of the roles that 
wrestlers at some point envision doing is booking. A lot of wrestlers always feel that their ideas are going to be superior to what ideas they are seeing from the actual bookers that are actively working. So usually they consider the role, if nothing else. Is booking for a company something that you've either tried at some point or have wanted to try? Uh, There's rarely been a company I've worked for where they haven't asked me to help with booking. Um, I have a knack for it for not only um, just the overall booking structure, because it's it's really different depending on where you're doing it. Like for – I've I've had the, the the luck of working for lots of different companies that run at different schedules that have different productions, et cetera. So uh, I've had the opportunity to sit in on booking meetings and learn, like I said, weeks and weeks and weeks, years on end, how to book weekly television um, and build to a six or an eight week arc or a climax, uh, while in the meantime starting. Uh, a or you know that's your A feud. What you have to start B and C feuds that don't necessarily climax there because if you do that, then then the, the week after the big climax, you have nothing to go to, and it's because it's kind of like dead in the water show, which you seem to see on TV sometimes too. When you go, um, if you watch WWE through like the month of December, genuinely or generally from uh, from Survivor Series to Royal Rumble, there's a very there's like a holding pattern, a lull between the and the creative because they've blown off a bunch of stuff at Survivor Series, and then they don't have anything going until the Royal Rumble, and they're just building to that. So I've had the opportunity to learn those kind of lessons where I can uh, book a weekly TV show, but the majority of wrestling companies don't have weekly TV. So you also have to realize, okay, is this a monthly show? Is it in the same area? Or is this a touring company that hits you know, maybe hits this area once every three months? And if that's the case, Trying to book a coherent story and a linear story is really an exercise in futility. There's no reason to keep the same characters. Sure, if they if they if a character gets over in that particular area and you see a real good response for them, bring them back and bring them back in a similar capacity. But to try to retell a story that happened three, four, six months ago to a brand new crowd, it's just spinning your wheels, wasting your time, and honestly, it's a little bit of narcissism to think that. Not only did they see that one and follow everything you did, but also that they're they're so involved that they're going to uh, follow you along that story. Now, some might, and if they do, good on them. Let them be the rewarded continuous viewer, but book for tonight if you don't have a really continuous uh, spot in that area. Just, just book it like a spot show. Book everyone and the way that they can be the strongest that night for that performance where everybody can have the best time, where the boys can make the most merch money, have the best interaction with the fans, and then just move on to the next one. Because who knows if the guys you're, you're booking right now are even going to be available in six months. So, yeah, I think uh, I've had enough experience and have a, a good enough grasp for booking that uh, I like to flex that at, at any time I'm given the opportunity. But it's also one of those things, like you said, everyone thinks their own ideas are the best. So I never want to overstep those boundaries and suggest that I should be. But any time that I'm asked to be uh, a part of the creative process, I'll, of course, jump at that because it's just it's a fun thing to do to kind of flex those creative muscles. 
Absolutely. Well, at this point, my co-host, Coach Mike Jones, is standing by. I know Coach has questions to ask of you, so I'm going to pass things right over to the Coach with the most. Hey, brother. Hey, brother, man, I'm really impressed with your story. I'm really enjoying it. Man, it's really nice to hear uh, what you have to offer for wrestling and your talents and abilities. And, man, I'm really enjoying it. Uh, Congratulations for what you do. I appreciate that. I've had a small modicum of success. I've spent my time on TV. Um, I would say I've done a whole lot of, of uh, mainstream TV as far as, like, cable goes, but I've been on a few affiliates, and I, you may have seen me uh, taking down Brock Lesnar or Cody Rhodes once or twice. My know, goodness, keeping yes, the peace on, on Keeping the peace on Monday Night Raw. Yeah, that is impressive. My goodness. Okay, so let's get into this. Uh, my first segment is called Heroes. Who was your heroes growing up in ordinary life? Uh, so, like, my regular everyday heroes, not ones yeah. that I was, like, reading about and things like that? Exactly, yeah. Oh, man, honestly, I don't know. I've um, I've always had a bit of a strange mind where I'm, like, I'm a true blue Gemini where I'm of two minds of everything. So, uh, when I was growing up, I was kind of very aware of the the flaws and the uh, the benefits of, of each individual person. So I never had like one particular hero. Um, my, I had great parents, but neither of them were into what I was into. They weren't, they didn't really understand wrestling. They didn't understand the music I liked, things like that. So it wasn't anything like I had just a true blue mentor or hero growing up. Um, that's why I always I read so much and I would and I got into wrestling so much because they're the only like kind of uh, pinnacle idols that I could really look for. Um, I was uh, I had two sisters I grew up with, but uh, my two older brothers were with their uh, their mom, so I didn't really have that like role model or or kind of fence post to to, to live up to. Um, but I mean, uh, other than in my everyday life, uh, I would. Uh, Bret Hart was always a big, a big kind of role model of mine because he was perseverant and didn't change what he believed in or stood for, even if the landscape changed. So that's probably yeah. the best answer to give you, Coach. Okay, and then what about in sports? In sports, um, my my dad was a huge Forty ers fan, so I think the only kind of sports idol I ever had. Well, I had, I guess I had a few, but um, Joe Montana was a big one for me. Yeah, like, exactly. You know, he's a, his his pinnacle was really before my time, but like before I really became a fan, because by the time I was a hardcore Joe Montana fan, he got traded to to Kansas City. Um, yeah, which kind of made me always hate Kansas City because I was like, he, <laughs> I thought he went there and they misused him, kind of like the Bret Hart thing, you know what I mean? Where it's like, you know, he switches teams and all of a sudden he doesn't seem so important and they're not. He's not succeeding there, and it must be their fault, right? Um, yeah. But, you know, like I said, I, I mentioned my, my fiance earlier, and she's from the Kansas area, the North Kansas area. So she's converted okay. me to not hate the I, – I don't. Okay, I no yeah, longer hate yeah. the Chiefs. I'm a big Patrick yeah, Mahomes yeah. fan. So. Okay, yeah. Uh, okay. He, he, he's made up for that fumble with, Joe, with Golden Joe. Uh, uh-huh. And then, of okay, course, yeah. I mean, I was I grew up in the, in the early 90s, so it's like I was a huge uh, – 
Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen fan, everything like that. I got to see the rise of Shaquille O'Neal in his first few years with the Magic. So I was big into them because, like I said, I played basketball as well. So those are really kind of kind of sports idols of mine. Uh, I remember going. I lived in Dallas at the time, and I don't know if you have a lot of sports history. Well, as a coach, you probably do. Yeah. Um, but in the nineties, the Dallas Mavericks were like one of the worst teams in all of basketball. They were absolute yeah, garbage. Yeah, yeah. And so, but we would go to reunion arena and sit in the, the seats where we're closer, closer to Jesus than Jordan. You know, we would, uh, we'd sit in the highest nosebleed seats just so we, where you get vertigo, just so we could get a glimpse of, you know, of the goat of Michael Jordan and the Chicago yeah. Bulls. It was like, that's the only Mavericks game I ever, or the Mavericks games I ever went to is when Jordan was in town. Cause it's just okay, like, yeah. it's like the Pope coming to town, you know? And when Jordan comes to a town that doesn't have good basketball, man, you gotta, you gotta drop what you're doing and go see him. Exactly. Okay. And then who, who are your heroes in music? Oh, my music? Um, is this current or growing up? Just all together. Okay. Uh, well, growing up, I uh, I didn't, like, it took me until, like, junior high to even really get exposed to good rock music. So growing up, I was, uh, I actually had a lot of, like, heavy rap influences, like Dr. Dre, things like that, like Snoop Dogg. I was listening to a lot of the West Coast rap. Uh, and then a lot of the, the pop radio at the time was like Ine Kamosi. It was uh, uh, Montel Jordan, just that kind of like really up-tempo rap. Uh, but then once I hit junior high, uh, a guy who I originally absolutely hated and we didn't get along at all, which, by the way, is how the majority of my lifelong friendships start. I'm a very dislikable guy, and I'm okay wow, with that. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, most people who most people who really like me and think I'm a great stand-up guy, immediately like when they first meet me, they're like, "I thought you were a total asshole." I'm just like, "Oh, I get that. I, I'm a very confident person, and I I believe in what I believe in, and I think I'm right. And if you can prove me wrong, then great. Please prove me wrong, and I'll give you a pat on the back, and I'll tell you thank you for educating me. But until you do that, I'm absolutely going to believe I'm right, and I'm going to tell you. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so a guy like that, uh, we, we started out as like, couldn't stand each other and then eventually started talking and he got me into, uh, more metal stuff, like heavy stuff, like coal chamber and corn, uh, and then Limp Bizkit came around. I was all right with them, but really I, I got into like grunge, like, uh, Nirvana, Alice in Chains, Green yeah. Day, things like that. And really the more I've matured, the more I have an appreciation for, uh, some of the more complex bands like Alice in Chains. And I've also gotten into a bit more like uh, darker stuff, like really heavy, like um, like typo negative, I feel like has a has a sound that no one else in the world has. And a little spoiler alert, I don't know if, uh, if you guys have ever heard of this. I'm, I'm a huge wrestling music person. Like um, me and my friend Jermaine, before he passed, we would always like – play as much like wrestling trivia with the the music and things like that as we could to just kind of soak it in. And we would try and find these like rarities that uh, the other one had never heard of. And it's, I'm so angry and sad that he's passed because I found one I never knew existed. That's actually from typo negative, which is one oh, of my man. favorite bands. I found out that um, maybe for his, based on the name of it, uh, I would think that it's probably for his, for Kane's last return to TV when he had the uh, the welder kind of mask, 
um, there, I, it sounds like around that time, uh, they Typo Negative actually recorded a an entrance song for him that I've never heard oh. of before, didn't know yeah. existed until I was looking up something else of Typo Negative, and I accidentally hit a K instead of the letter I was trying to hit, and it popped up Typo Negative Kane. And so uh, I heard that song, and I was like, man, somewhere, sometime, I'm definitely coming out to that, because I don't think anyone knows that that, that, that okay, song exists. Yeah. Wow, okay, nice, all right. And then, so yeah, uh, if, you guys are, if anyone is out there is into Typo Negative, look up Typo, typo Negative Kane on, uh, on YouTube. It's, it's pretty amazing. Uh, it doesn't have any of the awesome lyrics that, that, uh, that Typo Negative, the super deep voice lyrics they're known for, but the music is very, like, unmistakably Typo. All right, cool. Okay, now, did you play sports in high school or growing up? Uh, yeah, both. I was I played uh, Pee Wee, uh, not Pee Wee. What do you call it? Uh, Little League Baseball. Um, was an all star in that. Um, played a lot of basketball just because I was naturally taller than everyone else. Um, but I have uh, in in junior high, I found out that I'm not a fast person. So you know, like I wasn't uh, I wasn't bulky or aggressive enough at that time to be like a true like a true center. Uh, I was just a lanky, tall kind of nerd kid back then. And if you're not fast, you can't be in basketball. Like you got to have incredible cardio and you got to be able to get up the floor fast. So uh, that was my last foray into basketball. Um, And then just, like I said, like I would play sports just for fun. And then in high school, uh, by the time I was, I, I took weightlifting and stuff, but by the time I was recruited for uh, for football, I was already a senior, so there wasn't an option for me. Okay, and then uh, what's your self defense background? Uh, I don't have much. I mean, I took uh, a little bit of just local YMCA kind of stuff when I was a kid. Uh, I wanted to get into amateur wrestling when I was much younger. I think like six or seven. And my mom, being a worrier like she was, uh, basically convinced me I was going to get my nose broken like several times if I took amateur wrestling because okay, they yeah. did the, they they were very much like the uh, not they weren't they didn't dislike me watching wrestling but they just they saw how obsessed I was with it and they when I wanted to get into amateur wrestling they were just like you know it's not going to be like regular wrestling I was like yeah I know like I understand what it is and I want to you know but they they kind of wanted to pop that bubble and make and make sure I knew I was going to get hurt and I was like well I don't I don't want to get my nose am I definitely going to get my nose broken my ears are going to get messed up why I, okay maybe I don't <laughs> yeah, want to yeah. do this yeah and okay. so they they kind of talked me out of it I'm like man I really wish they wouldn't have because there's no better background to have for a pro wrestling a pro wrestler than either football or amateur wrestling and i mean i don't know a single amateur wrestler collegiate style wrestler in the world who isn't mostly a total badass like who can't yeah, just wreck yeah, any situation exactly. that they feel like wrecking yeah. even even yeah. some of the smaller people like he was talking about earlier in the collegiate uh, era you know like he said danny hodge was a light heavyweight and danny hodge could could cripple and and make any grown man cry he chose to like yeah. they get so strong and they get so uh, so adept at being able to manipulate other people's bodies that if you get in the grip of a wrestler, just call it quits because you're done. Exactly. Okay. And now, um, 
This next segment is called Favorites. I'm sure Sign Guy and the rest of the fans would love to know what your favorite coffee to drink is. Coffee? Yeah. Um, if if I was if I had to drink coffee because I honestly don't like the taste of coffee, uh, it's gonna be a, a real sugary go-to, almost dessert kind of drink. It's gonna be like a uh, like a mocha frappuccino from Starbucks or something. But I don't I don't really like coffee, and I don't like the uh, the uh, the whipped cream they put on that either because it makes your mouth all waxy. So. So oh, okay. no whip then, mocha frappuccino, yep. I guess, would be my go-to coffee. All right, and then we get that answer about 40, 45% of the time now. Most people aren't drinking coffee because people are I think it's one of those things that's kind of, it's kind of one of those things that's phasing out. I think it's the, the exactly. old workplace yeah, yeah. kind of scenario, the gather by the coffee machine. Because I'll tell you, the most I ever drink co- drank coffee was when I worked in an office where there was a lot of, like, dead time and you would just go drink coffee because coffee was there and you were sleepy, you know, like it wasn't like a, a drink of choice because it was so delicious. It just worked like it's a functionality drink, I think. So I think with so many energy drinks and the, uh, and alternatives to that, you know, ground bean flavor that people love from coffee. Uh, I, I think that's probably why we're seeing it kind of slide out of popularity. Yeah. And then plus the health thing too, you know, uh, there's mixed reviews on that. Some people say it's healthy. Some people say like you got high blood pressure or this or that. Or uh, like like any kind kid, of stimulant, kidneys. you have to you have to regulate your health. You have to make sure exactly. you're not taking too yeah. much. It's no different from an energy drink. Like there's, and you have to watch energy drinks too. Don't, don't get me wrong. Yeah. Not only because of the ca- not only because of the, ca- the high caffeine dosage. I mean, but you're talking to a guy who drank original formula four locos here too. So, I mean, like I play fast and loose with, with, uh, with a fun time every now and then, because those were basically like small amounts of death in a can. Um, but they would, even with, you, if you got to check the labels on some of these energy drinks too, cause I was oh, looking yeah. at, I love uh, the, the white monsters, but they have so much sodium in those things. I was I was like, man, I got to yeah. switch back and look at getting Bangs because Bang has a much l- a lower sodium level because that'll give you hypertension too. Yeah, exactly. And so, so since we're still on my favorite segment, and usually when people say they are not into coffee as much, we'll have to follow up with what are your favorite drinks. Uh, I'm a Southern boy, honestly. So uh, a good tea. I, I prefer unsweet with sweet and low now because I, my mom always made weak, not too sweet tea. Um, and then, so that's what I grew up with. And then if you go to a lot of old Southern homes, they're serving you like tea flavored syrup. Like it's so heavily okay, sugared wow. and it's just diabetes in a cup. Yeah. So okay, I'm, yeah. Generally, I will order an unsweet tea with a little bit of sweet and low so that you're not getting 400 calories of sugar in, in a single glass. And, you, know, well, I'm a, you know, I'm a big guy. I'll take down a few teas during a dinner. So I'm, not, I'm trying to eat my calories, not drink them. Okay, exactly. Yeah, and people forget about that all the time. You know, they're like, I'm going drinking, but you're forgetting that all the calories are piling on. All right. Oh, now, yeah, you uh, got it. Go ahead. Uh, t- Excuse me. I interrupted you. No, no, no you got. I was just gonna say you gotta, like, you have the drinking your calories is a very easy way to forget it. Like when you go out yeah. drinking, sure, like uh, alcohol has calories in it, but I mean it's 
you know, if you're putting whiskey in your drink, what's the difference between Diet Coke and Coke? You know, like it's going to mix them probably the same. So I'm just, I'm one of those guys where I'm like, I'm not afraid to order a diet soda with my, with my drink. Cause I'd rather not worry about those calories as well. There's enough bad things in my food as it is. And then dude, I'm usually out there eating too. So it's like, goodness. It's like, Oh no, you cannot. Oh, yeah. You get, you get a little too month. buzzed. You got to get some of that greasy food in you. So yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's yeah. a recipe okay, for disaster. So Pile it on again. Okay. Now tell the fans. What's your favorite concerts you've seen? Sorry, you broke up a little bit there on my end. What was the question? Okay. Tell tell the fans what your favorite concerts you've seen. Oh, my favorite concerts. Um, well, uh, let me run back. I went to, what was it, Carnival of Madness a few years ago, I think it was called. Um, There's a, like a touring multi-artist act that was uh, – uh, it was headlined. I think it was headlined by Shinedown, but I don't really like Shinedown very much. I was there for uh, In This Moment and some of the heavier bands. Uh, that was great. I saw the B-52s and Joan Jett in concert. That was surprisingly okay. amazing. Really? Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. I haven't seen B-52s, but Joan, yes. Yeah, they were on the same card. It was it was it was a very strangely booked concert, but to see Joan Jett like in the gorilla position, kind of like beside the. Uh, you know, beside the thing, the speakers and everything, she's jamming out to the B-52s. I was like, what a great situation wow. this is to witness. Uh, Joan yeah. Jett looks amazing. I don't know. I think she recently did something with WWE where she was uh, she did Ronda's entrance, maybe at Mania, but it was sometime recently, and she still looks amazing, not only for her age, but she's still in amazing shape. She's got abs and stuff. Ridiculous. Um, yeah, I, I will. Well, I've had I've Excuse gone me. to uh, a few other concerts. Uh, Saliva puts on a great show. Uh, I had a friend who his entrance song was "Click Click Boom," and at the time I was okay. coming out to Superstar Two, and you know they just they might as well just have made music for pro wrestling because most any song mm. they ever made makes awesome hype music or theme music or something. I mean they'll they'll play uh, Batista's song and they'll talk about how ladies and gentlemen was all, was the theme of WrestleMania 23. And the dude's a, the Josie Scott, their lead singer is a great performer. And I think saliva is one of those bands where people will be like, Oh yeah, I've heard of them. Uh, I don't really know any of their songs though. And then you go yeah. to their playlist on Spotify and you're like, I had no idea these were all the same band. Like, and okay, people wow, just have, okay. for the most part, don't know how many great songs they have. Okay, right on. And then uh, what about your favorite sports teams? Well, and then, hey, hold on, hold on, hold on go a ahead, second. Go ahead. Speaking of sports teams in Oklahoma, them mother son of the guns stole our Sonics. <laughs> they did They did what? They stole our Sonics. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Were you a Sonics fan? Was, yes, was that, were you yes, the last was... one? We're from Northwest here, yes. We're still oh, well, you, 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 you guys that. were the ones, yeah, you guys yeah. were the ones cheering on Detlef Shrimp and Sean Kemp back yeah. in the day. Yeah, of course. <laughs> no, okay, I, uh, anyway. that's, that's pretty common, actually. I, uh, my friend Jermaine, who passed, he was a big Sean Kemp fan. He was a massive Sean Kemp fan. So, like, when they moved to OKC, he was, he was pissed about it, too, because he was just a Sonics fan. He's one of those dudes. He's also a Bengals fan. So I think he just wants to root for the underdog, you know, just like root for people who have struggled. 
because they, you know, like it felt like the Sonics were always really good, but never the top team, you know? And I think he was, that's kind of the fan he was. Um, but yeah, I mean, you got to give them credit though, because they moved the team and within the first five years, they're like, the top team in basketball or, you know, yeah, at least yeah, right I next to it. Exactly. They're in conference championships. They're in national yeah, yeah. championships. They don't ever bring home a ring. And since then it's fallen off the cliff, but still like, uh, you know, we, we had a super team that should have been champions, but whatever, I guess we'll just wait for the next pro franchise that never shows up in Oklahoma city because of that. If we had brought home a yeah. ring, we could have got another pro franchise or something, but and that's, what, you know, he was, we were speaking earlier about collegiate wrestling. Collegiate sports is huge here, mainly because we don't have, like, you know, you go to Missouri and you've got St. Louis, they've got pro teams, you know, like they've got pro football, and Texas has a ton of pro football. But, like, in the in the states here in the Midwest or the middle America where they don't have pro teams, that's why you see so much, like, fervent uh, support of the college teams is because that's what they got to root for, you know? Yeah, and then since we were still on the basketball for a minute here, we need a little bit more insight here. We were sold out by our city council. They they gained $30 million from the sale, and then the owner of Starbucks personally sold us out. And then not only did they do that, they got the colors and the records from the Sonics history. That is criminal. Yeah, they, well, yeah, because it's basically it's a continuation of of the franchise, right? It's not while it seems like a brand new franchise. Technically, the <laughs> Sonics moved and changed their name. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the uh, it's it's crazy. They uh, I, when you think about it, though, thirty million dollars is a probably a pretty good deal. I don't know how much the Sonics were bringing in in their dying days, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. And Oklahoma City had recently proven that they could support and were hungry for a pro team. Uh, when Katrina happened, the the Hornets had moved up here. The the team that would, uh, I guess, I don't know if they moved back or if they became the Pelicans, uh, but the, the New Orleans team moved up to Oklahoma City while uh, the Katrina repairs were going on. And so uh, we were able to support them and really flourish as far as ticket sales go. So it made us a top contender for for a new team. And so oh. instead of an expansion team, they just they bought one from uh, oh, yeah. from Seattle yeah. and from Starbucks apparently. Which I mean, go figure that that Starbucks is going to do whatever they can to make money. They're pretty good at making lots Goodness. and lots of money. Yeah. Um, and then they did the ownership did all the right things of gutting the team like two years before you're right in this. So nobody's going and they're the worst yeah. team. So we got to sell them. It's like major uh, league, we, right? Where like they, yeah. like where the whole, their whole plan was to do is they wanted to finish dead last <laughs> so that, so that they could move the team. Right. So they could sell everything and make a bundle. Like who knew that you guys had the, uh, had the major league heel as your, uh, as your GM. <laughs> Now, any other uh, favorite sports teams for you? Uh, I grew up uh, in Dallas and the uh, in the uh, Jimmy Johnson years. Oh, okay. so I yeah. mean, I was this franchise Super Bowl champ, uh, Dallas Cowboys fan. Um, not as much as 
most people were around there. You know how it is with bandwagon people. Like we got to go oh, yeah. to some cool stuff and watch games and stuff. Like we got to go to the, the some of the players would have big get-togethers and bonfires and things like that and charity events. So we got to go to some of that cool stuff. And I was as into sports as I would ever be then. So it was pretty cool. At least, like I said, the Mavericks were terrible. So at least we had a good football team at the time. Um, we had the Dallas Stars around that time too. I was a little bit into hockey, not really, just just a little dip of my toes into whatever sports were were on TV and checking them out. Uh, but yeah, so we had some good franchises around there. Outside of that, like again, I was a, a huge Jordan fan, but how could you not be growing up in that time? Like, oh just, yeah, you know, I've I've watched The Last Dance probably three times all the way through, just because it's like to just see the man in action, to see his story, to hear it in his words. And to get even more information than we used to have on it, it's like it's still just breathtaking to watch him do what he did and and fight and play as hard as he possibly can, regardless of the situation. Like he's got five rings and he's still pushing everybody on his whole team. It's just it's, yeah. it's a marvel to see someone like that in action. And a then, lot of hey, times you know, later, excuse go me, ahead. excuse me, uh, dude, that's just the tip of the iceberg of that era too, man. How Famous and over and and the nirvana from his stardom and fame. Where let, let's talk about Space Jam and and the the USA team. He also yeah, had the, that the, the that, popularity that same, of basketball. The popularity of basketball era. worldwide. Yeah, yeah the NBA is a mega franchise now because of Michael yeah. Jordan and his success. Exactly, and then his like story his, about his shoes. Yeah, exactly. They just made a major motion picture yeah. about it, about yes. a shoe deal. Which, by the way, since we're since we're a wrestling podcast here, I'll put my two cents in that if I worked at WWE right now, I would be busting my ass to get a deal with Nike to make Bloodline ones, to make red Roman Reigns themed shoes right now because there there's no hotter person. There's no bigger star in wrestling. There's no one in the next 20 or 30 years that's probably going to touch what's happening right now. He is, I I would say, the Hulk Hogan of the era because 30 years from now, people are going to be wearing shirts of the bloodline like they are the NWO shirts now. Like, they're going to be throwing up the ones. He's going to, like, he's got that crossover appeal where you'll see you'll see o, uh, O'Shea Jackson Jr., Ice Cube's kid. You'll see him ringside throwing up the one. Like, it's got crossover cultural appeal, and Roman has that major megastar mojo about him that I'm like, and the the fashion that they wear, the color scheme, the fact that he rocks Jordans on the regular, just make him his own shoe. Just get the one out first, you know, make bloodline ones, just make them see how they do. If other people are near popular enough, if you can get Cena a shoe, rock a shoe, sure. But like try it with Roman and I guarantee you that opens up all sorts of doors. They're always looking for more money. You don't have to put, you don't have to advertise necessarily with the, you know, with the mat branding like WCW used to do with the ridiculous screen on the barricade branding we had to put up with at WrestleMania, like make your guys cross over stars. And when you start seeing Roman Reigns 
selling Nikes on television like we used to yeah. see with Michael Jordan in the 90s. He's going to become a bigger star than ever. And WWE will get the, you know, they'll, they'll, the, the spotlight will be on him, but they'll get to bask in some of that warmth too, where they can say they create worldwide stars. They already created the biggest box office draw in the past 20 years. You know, The Rock's the biggest movie star in the world, and he came from there. John Cena's a big movie star. He came from there. If they're able to get even a higher pinnacle of crossover appeal for Roman Reigns, they will be seen as a mega power for making worldwide stars. For sure. And then, hey, man, um, sign guys a really uh, strict time, and, man, I'm having so much fun here that uh, I haven't even got through half my questions. How are we doing on t- – Time sign. Oh, we got about uh, 15 minutes. Okay, and then uh, how much more you got, sign? Well, I can do a bit more. Okay, well, yeah, I got a few more then. Okay, uh, this one's called yeah, Memorable Sorry, I, I will apologize if anyone who's ever met me will tell you. I will talk until you tell me not to talk. I'm, if okay. anything, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a gifted orator because I, I never run out of things to talk about, so... Uh, so I'll try and be a bit uh, more concise in my answers. Go ahead. Okay, that's fine. And we might have to have you back on. Or, and, and then I have my own show. It looks like I'm going to have to uh, book you for my show, too. I'm really interested in your story. And, and the oh, fans gladly, need to absolutely. know about it. I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation. So, yeah, I will gladly be back here or on your, your solo show. Okay, cool. Now, now, this one's called Memorable Matches. What are the most memorable matches you've ever seen? And that includes anything, a, a VHS tape from the 70s, television, live, you name it, most memorable matches you've seen. Uh, it's, it's weird. I have, my, I have my fandom era and I have my study era, so it's, it's tough to look at them with the same lens. But uh, I've got, um, I, like I said, time and place. I'm a Bret Hart guy. Uh, WrestleMania 13, it just doesn't get better than that match to me. It's storytelling. It's how to do a heel turn without changing your character. It's how to do a face turn without changing your character. It's how to use blood to tell a story and to emphasize a story without it being gratuitous. It's how to use a stipulation alone to make someone a babyface by making them the underdog. Because going into it, Brett's a babyface, but it's a submission match. So immediately the the deck is stacked against Steve, which makes people subconsciously know he's at a disadvantage. Therefore, he's somewhat the underdog. So by the end of it, when he's also a fighting badass and won't give up, you can't help but he's the John Wayne. Like, he's too tough to beat. He's too tough for his own good, and he'll always go down swinging. Uh, So I think that's a master class in storytelling. And, of course, there's not a bad Bret Hart match in the world to watch. I don't know if I've ever seen one. Um, as as a as a wrestler, um, there's there's a random ass I can't find it anymore. Me and my friend Jermaine, we used to live together. We would watch it on YouTube. There is a uh, a fantastic match between the Rockers and the Rougeau brothers, where they do this really elongated one two three spot, where it's basically what's good for the goose is good for the gander. They do a bunch of uh, of things back and forth, and it's mostly just showing off, and it's mostly just uh, pandering. And then out of nowhere, they finally get to doing stuff, and the the baby faces get over. And it's such a simplistic, elongated spot and match, but like it's so ridiculously over that just we were like, 
why have we never seen this? I think it's from a UK tour, and I've not been able to see it yet. But you'll know it if you see it. There's, like, backflips involved just trying to show off, and the Rougeos can't do it. Like, uh, it's a it's a really great match. Um, so that's one of my, my favorites as far as that goes. And then in person, uh, I will say there's also the most Memphis match of all Memphis matches. I got to sit next to Jim Cornette watching Jerry Lawler versus Jeff Jarrett. And Man. They, they literally did the longest Memphis spot I can ever remember, where it's basically the standard is, you know, arm drag, talk shit. Sorry, talk. Sorry, I don't know if I can cuss on this. Sorry about that. Um, to talk crap. Uh, hip toss, talk crap. Body slam, talk all the crap in the world. And then the guy takes the arm drag, takes the hip toss, takes the body slam. They did an entire match of that. It's like 12 minutes of Jeff Jarrett setting heat. And then in a three-minute, four-minute flurry, Jerry Lawler gets all of it back, does everything right back to him, sets up for the fist drop, and gets the win. It's it's gorgeous, and it's one of my favorite wrestling memories of all time. Sweet. Yes. Nice. That's okay, uh, it's available somewhere online if people want to watch it. Uh, that was a uh, a Bostic promotion. That was uh, Oklahoma Mania One, I think. So check that out. Uh, it's on YouTube somewhere. All right. Now, now let the fans know about some of the, your most memorable matches. You've had quite a run. I have. I've been uh, blessed enough to be put in the ring with uh, a lot of of legends and uh, high-profile stars. Um, My series with MVP is probably my favorite. Um, He's a very smart and very discerning individual, and he was able to – we had a a lot of really good matches where we both ended up shining, and then he was humble enough and trusting enough that uh, in our blow-off match in Wichita at a building called the Cotillion, which if you've never watched wrestling at the Cotillion, you've missed out because I don't know when somebody's going to run there again, but it's a gorgeous wrestling venue. There's lots of stuff online uh, on YouTube from the Cotillion. You should check it out. Um, but me and MVP had this false count. I think, I think it was just a, a street fight situation, and I'd been thinking about it for about a week, and I had – in my head, I had a manager and the stipulation in my head, and I was like, hey, um, I have an idea if, you, if, if you'd be open to my suggestions. He was like, let's hear it. Depends on how good it is. And I was like, so for the ending, like about three quarters of the way through, what if? And I laid out the last quarter of the match, uh, which included him putting hands on a woman who was my manager at the time, right? And he was like, man, I don't know. He's like, we're in, we're in middle America, and I'm going to put hands on – he's like, I'm a black man. I'm going to put hands on a white woman. You think that's going to go over well? And I'm like, bro, I'm get, I was like, early on, we've got her stepping in your way and stopping you. Later on, we've got her pulling, pulling me out and stopping you. And I was like, and she's going to try and low blow you. You're going to stop her. You're going to tell her to leave. She's going to slap you across the face. I was like, oh. if I, I was like, man, that crowd will be telling you to take care of her. And I say lay hands on her. The whole plan, grab her by the head, give her the old, uh, was it the play of the playmaker, the, the Orton overdrive. So it's not an impact move. It's not a big choke slam or anything. It's a wrestling move that doesn't look like he's killing her. So it doesn't have that, like, ooh, violence against women kind of feel to it. 
that roof blew off that place when he hit that on her. And he was like, afterwards, he was nice enough. And it was a huge point for me where he went to the booker and was like, hey, man, this dude gets it. He's like, that whole finish, how did you like that finish? And he was like, oh, man, he's great. He's like, every bit this dude. So, like, he's humble enough to not only allow someone with much less experience than him to lay out a finish and to go along with him, to trust wow, me that I knew yes. he was proud, but also then to go give props to someone else for it. I was like, it's one of the reasons he's one of my best friends in the business to this day. Uh, anytime we can, we will go have dinner or something because he's he's been an incredible mentor to me. Yes, and man, he is one of the most well-rounded best performers of of all time. Maybe not overall best performer, but most well-rounded, if you look at it that way. I would say he's one of the most underrated. I think that, that there's, yeah, not a yeah. box he doesn't, there's not a box he doesn't check. He, uh, he and Ken Kennedy, around the same time, either one of them could have broken through and been a top guy star. They're both, like, they each have their, their classic things, you know, their high spots where you can imitate. Everybody knows the ball and elbow. And he had that, that BJJ background. So, like, he's a legit badass M- yeah. MVP. And he's got, he's got the promo down. He sounds like a grown-ass man who knows what he's doing, who absolutely believes what he's saying. That's yeah. why he did so great with the Hurt Business and with Lashley. When Lashley is so nice that he comes across nice and it's hard to believe as the, the amazingly machine of, of man that he is, uh, when you have that grizzled, gruff MVP voice behind him, you, you can't help but be enthralled by what he's saying. So I think that them missing out on, what, 10 years of his active career was a huge mistake. They let both those guys, him and Ken Anderson, they let them both go. And I, was, I never understood why. Wow, yeah. Oh, well, I, I, say, I say they let him go. Um, MVP actually requested to leave. He wanted to work in Japan, okay. knew he wasn't going to get that opportunity, didn't feel like he had a lot of momentum. So he actually requested to leave. I don't want to make it sound like he was released. But they did allow him to. They didn't have to, you know. So yeah. they allowed him to leave. And then, uh, you know, he was unhappy there. And I think that residual unhappiness had a lot to do with why he didn't go back. But, man, when that rumble was coming up, and I was like, hey, man, I had worked with him earlier that week, and I was like, hey, man, if I need to watch that rumble because there's going to be a surprise, let me know. And he played it coy until he was about to leave, and he's like, all right, dog, you might want to watch that rumble. I'll see you later. And I was like, I knew it. Son of a beast. Yeah. All right, right I on. Said, okay, I said so I was going to be more concise with my answers, and then I just kept fine. talking. Sorry. And, and, hey, we're down <laughs> towards the end. I'm sure Sign Guy wants, wants to ask you a few more questions before the end here. I'm really grateful he lets me uh, be on the show. But I don't want to miss miss out on letting you know my sign guy rap because sign guy, he's so fly, he's gonna take you to the sky, he's gonna make you feel high, baby. I don't have to lie because he might be better than baseball, hot dogs and apple pie. Sign guy, brother. That was incredible. That was incredible, right? That's an intro. When I go on your show, coach, I expect something that good. Thank you. All right, well, Gideon, one of the things in the season we're in right now that is very common for pro wrestling is outdoor venues. We see a lot of wrestling promotions that work with festivals and fairs and so forth, which 
leads to a lot of outdoor shows. Do you personally have feelings on outdoor shows as opposed to your standard indoor show? I hate them, honestly. Uh, now, because generally you're talking, you know, outdoors, not – I've done an outdoor show in a football stadium, but that's not what we're talking about here. You know what I mean? Like, there's, for the most part, your outdoor shows uh, on the indie level are just going to be in a parking lot or at a, you know, a, a church get-together, some sort of an outdoor venue like that, or even like a park kind of thing. Um, and for the most part, they don't have the pro- – like, then, you're, then your dressing room ends up being – your locker room ends up being some tarped-off area, and there's like – there's usually like – some sort of walkway made of makeshift planks of wood or something like that. It's just, it's so rarely fully thought out as to what the logistics of an outdoor show are that it's generally a bad experience. Not to mention, it gets, it was the heat index here a couple of weeks ago was 108 degrees. Like, there's always Cinco de Mayo shows and things like that, and they hold them outdoor because they're outdoors because they're part of these festivals. Like that mat gets so hot, those ropes get so hot, and just it's it's unbearable to be out there in the heat trying to do your thing. And then, it's much like when they have an outdoor, like an arena show or a stadium show with WWE, the sound goes up and out. Like it's, it doesn't ever feel as loud unless you can really gather, you know, hundreds upon hundreds and upon hundreds of people in a good setting because a lot of outdoor shows don't have like a lot of area around it to, to house that many people where they can actually still see um, there. But the, the North Texas show we did had great sound because there was legit people still in the actual stadium stands that could see it was well set up. So like in that area, that was a great show, but the majority of outdoor shows, not just because they're outdoors, but because the, the managers the, or the, the, the uh, promoters don't have the foresight to book the other parts of it to be more convenient uh, or, or more logistical, I, I generally have a strong distaste for them. Also, around this time of year, a lot of promotions will put on battle royals because, like I said, they do a lot of fairs, a lot of festivals, and a lot of times uh, those are bot shows where the promoter is paid so much by the organizations to present a wrestling show, so they will oftentimes do battle royals to sort of keep the profits at a maximum level for them. Do you personally enjoy doing battle royal matches? Um, I prefer it uh, in a Royal Rumble-style format. Um, it's much easier to tell a story. There's Unless unless you tell the story of there's one guy in the Battle Royal that everybody hates and wants to gang, and we want to gang up on him or something, which a lot of times is me, um, it's tough to tell any opening story with a Battle Royal. It's just ring the bell, and there's chaos and elbows in the corners, and everybody finds a rope or a corner, or you got guys trying to take big bumps and with 20 guys in the ring, and it's just it's madness, and it's it's chaos and nothing all at the same time, if that makes sense. Like, there's there's everything going on and nothing going on, and it just becomes, I don't know, it's just a mess. And, and it's hard to follow, and still, even if you're trying to follow it, nothing's really happening. Uh, and then eventually somebody goes out and somebody else goes out. And it's not until you have, like, 
six or less people in the ring that you really have the elbow room to do anything entertaining, to tell much of a story. Um, that's why the Royal Rumble format is, has been so successful and why they rarely do Battle Royals. Uh, you know, they probably do more, as many Royal Rumbles as they do Battle Royals because you hardly see them on TV. Um, it's just not engaging to watch as much. It's a, it's a fun thing to think about, but unless you can whittle it down and break down and then you have to, you know, and get some people pushed away so you can have a couple of people do a couple spots or really try and tell a story, it's an incredibly difficult device to really make a story out of and that's really what I try and do with whatever match I'm in so if it's a well-booked battle royal where you've got okay they, they tell who they want to go out when and the last 10 guys are these the last six guys are these the last four is this the last two are these and here's the finish we want that I'm okay with that I can build to because if I know me and guy are the last two we can have an early interaction I can try and get him out and then he can almost get me out later on I, that gives me something to work with. But if it's Battle Royal and, you know, Guy X is going over, very difficult to actually try and make anything coherent out of. And you usually see a few of the younger guys wanting to throw drop kicks and do backdrops and stuff when there's 15 other guys in the ring and there's just no room to do it. Yeah, suplexing people, and, and their feet will land on someone who's by the ropes. It's, it's like guys who just don't know their space yet. Like, um, there's a, you know, ninjutsu means that you're a master of your surroundings. Well, you, are you as a wrestler, you should be a master of the ring. You should know how far it's going to be to the ropes. You should know who's where. And if you don't, don't attempt anything. You know, like, if you're not there yet, then just wait to be directed to do something and just do small things in the meantime until someone with more experience tells you to do something. Cause yeah, it's very, it's getting injured in a battle Royal for something that's rarely significant. Most battle Royals don't lead to anything. And most of the people in them don't get anything out of it except a second time to have to work that night. Imagine, you know, you're in a match earlier and then battle Royals a main, you have a great match and then you get injured in a battle Royal, not even winning it or having the last spot. How disappointing that must be. For sure. Well, we're down to the last bit of the show, and I want to make sure you have ample time. If there is anything that you would like to say to the listeners, anything at all you want to plug and promote, social medias, upcoming appearances, merchandise, your favorite barbecue restaurant, anything you want, floor is all yours. My old favorite barbecue restaurant was JR's Barbecue, but they shut that down. Uh but uh, let's see, my own socials, um, Instagram, Gideon underscore Vane, Twitter, at Gideon Vane, and Facebook, just search my name. You'll see a very professional headshot. Um, uh, upcoming shows, I've got a uh, the Horror Con in Oklahoma City. They're, they're doing a horror convention there. And what better place for the High Priest of Pain to be than the Horror Con? And I'm sure I will once again be in the main event like I was at the OKC Pop Con when they did that. Uh, I will, uh, I'll be there on August 5th. Um, and then on the 18th of August, I will be in Texarkana, uh, Texarkana, Texas. I think it's technically Texas. It might be Arkansas. They kind of cross over. But anyway, in the, in the city of Texarkana, I will be there for uh, a television pilot that we are shooting uh, with the promoter there. 
Uh, I have the info here somewhere. I'm not sure if I remembered it or not. Oh, it's uh, by HypeCon Events. It's Hype and Glory Wrestling is the name of the place. And it's part of the uh, – it's done there. They're shooting a pilot for KLFL TV 35 there in Texarkana to try and get a wrestling program for those people down there. So uh, my man uh, Darby, who's the promoter, hit me up and uh, is bringing me in down there, which is going to be fun. There's some there's some fun people in, uh, uh, in Texarkana I haven't hung out with in a while, so I'm always happy to go see my friends down there. Uh, but he's got good talent there, too. Should be a very good show, so check that out. It's at uh, the our Texarkana Arkansas Recreation Center. Uh, other than that, follow my socials, give them a like, give my uh, – I've got some pretty fun video on my um, uh, YouTube channel. Go throw me a follow there. And uh, my Pro Wrestling Tees store, uh, prowrestlingtees.com slash Gideon Vane. I've got lots of good designs there because I do them all myself. And uh, if you're an indie wrestler in the area, or in any area, really, uh, hit me up. I'll design you a money-making merch uh, design as well. I've done them for WWE guys, AEW guys. I've had two, um, what do they call the uh, the sale hot seller of the week or whatever on, uh, on Pro Wrestling Tees. I've had two designs be the top seller on Pro Wrestling Tees for over a week. So um, I do good work no matter what I'm doing. So... Be sure to follow me wherever uh, wherever you can and come see me and buy some stuff from my merch table because that's how we make our real money. Well, Gideon Bain, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today. We will definitely have to work it out so you're back on here. And, of course, I'm sure Coach will be getting into your messages to book you for oh, the yeah. Coach Mike show. Yeah. Coach, uh, make that big deposit my cash out, brother. We're all talking. your future uh, appearances, and we'll do this again. Yeah, sounds good, man. It was uh, it was a lot of fun. Like I said, I tend to uh, to talk a little bit, so if you got a talk show, I'll fill it up, man. Absolutely. Right, if people are listening to have podcasts of their own, wouldn't be a bad idea to get him on your schedules. But, Coach, I know you have some things to plug and promote as well, so why don't you jump in on that? Yeah, man, I want to wish you all the luck in the world. And, yeah, you guys can check me out every Saturday at noon Pacific on the Coach Mike Jones Show podcast. Just had a big show last night with Jim Valley from the Northwest. On the 22nd, next Saturday, I got Boozer Joe. The 29th, I got Ron Von Hess. Uh, August 5th, I got... From Chicago, Nikki Six from the Suicide Kings. August 12th, I have the nice man, Hank Miller. August 19th, I have the guys from Seattle Sports Union, Abe and the Soul Man. And August 26th, from Alaska, I've got YT Jones. And you guys can also check me out at Coach Mike Jones, the coach with the most. Coach Mike Jones on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. Don't forget to check out the Real School Army and the NGW Green Room for hundreds of interviews from celebrities all over the world. I want to thank Sign Guy, QT, Turnbuckle Turmoil, all the fans for your love and support and feedback. Thank you so much, everyone. All right, fans. Don't forget you can find me on the 29th in Connorsville, Indiana for World's Finest Wrestling making my debut for them at their first ever women's title tournament. Also, on this very program, on Friday, we're going to be back with Troy Prescott. 
and he will be the first show with our new co-host, Jason Chaos. So make sure you have plans to be with us then. And then join us again next Sunday. We'll be right back here at 1 p.m. Pacific. So have plans to be with us. We will talk to you soon. Everybody stay safe out there and support your local independent pro wrestling wherever it may be near you.